Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Numbers chapter 14, if you will. I want to continue on what we've been talking about the last couple weeks and um, kind of wrap this up. I think this will take us right into our Kingdom Rise uh, conferences and what we're going to be speaking about. You know, it's time for the church to rise. It's been high time for the church to rise. Amen. It's been due time. If you uh, haven't checked out what's happening around you or what's going on in the world uh, lately, um, it is a call to the church to rise to who they are in Christ. And so uh, that's what this kingdom rise is going to be all about, rising to your kingdom potential, rising to your ability to rule and to reign and get out of religious formality. I, I want to see religion so broken after this conference. Um, you know, I believe when you attend things like this, we have no business being the same as we were before. And if we're not changed, then we miss something. If we're not changed, if we're not moved, if we're not uh, moved to action on the inside of us, then we did something wrong. All we did was get entertained, and all we did was come and hear a few, hear a few people, uh, you know, speak some sermons. And, uh, you know, this isn't a time for the church to have full notebooks and still living empty lives. Amen. This isn't about just taking notes and hearing a couple scriptures and, and doing that kind of thing. It's calling the church to action. I believe we're going to get marching orders in, in this conference. Um, I believe it's a call to the church to rise. And uh, so, you know, what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, I think, is uh, kind of moving us in that direction. The first week we spoke about turning your beliefs into conviction, turning what you say you believe into a conviction. And we made this statement, do you believe it enough to alter your behavior? Do you believe it enough that it actually transforms your lifestyle? Or is it just words? Is it just rhetoric? Are you just falling in line with church lingo? Or is it just head knowledge, but it's not really heart knowledge? Because when it becomes heart knowledge, the Bible says out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And beyond that is there's, there becomes action. And so when belief becomes action, it becomes conviction. When belief actually begins to transform my behavior, do I believe it enough to change my life? Do I believe it enough to alter what I'm doing? Do I believe it enough to actually transform the way that I'm living, the way that I'm speaking, the way that I'm thinking? And so the church needs to move from just a belief system to actual conviction within the heart that says, I cannot continue on the way that I was. I cannot remain the same. I cannot just go through the flow or go through the motions any longer. And we need a church of conviction. I said we need a church of conviction. And then last week we said that if you're going to choose to walk with conviction, then you're going to have to live courageous. You're going to have to live courageous. I saw this quote just this past week made this statement, if you are going to dare to dream, you will have to have the courage to fight. If you are going to dare to dream, we need some dreamers. 
That's what we're going to be talking about today. We need to have people that live with a bigger picture, a bigger perspective. We need to quit looking at what is impossible and start looking at what is possible. But when you start living that way, you're going to have to have the courage then to step out on your convictions. And so we have to be a people that learn to mix courage with our faith. Not just the people of faith, but a people bold enough to step out and do something with it. And we've been looking at the woman with the issue of blood. She didn't just believe Jesus could heal, but she was convicted enough that it caused her to act upon it, press into the crowd. And then even after she got her miracle, Jesus said, who touched me? And with fear and trembling, the woman came to Jesus because Jesus didn't just want to heal her physical condition. He wanted to heal her soul. He said, you're not going to live with fear any longer. You're not going to live bound any longer. You're not going to, I'm not just going to set you free from something on the outside. I'm going to touch all of it. We serve a God that wants to touch all of it, not just the stuff we offer up. And we said it last week, all of us have a laundry list of things that you want Jesus to heal. But you also have another list. Maybe you don't know you have this list, but you have another list. It's the list of stuff you don't want him to touch. It's the list of stuff we don't want him to heal. It's the list of stuff that we want his hands off of. But when Jesus gets a hold of your life, he gets all of it. He takes care of the addictions. He takes care of the frustrations. And then he takes care of the the, the lack of value, the anxiousness, the, the stuff that you don't even know you have a problem with. He'll show you you got a problem with this, and I want to set you free from it. But when we start living that way, you're going to have to have some courage. You're going to have to have some boldness. And we saw that over in Numbers chapter 13, when the Israelites were going into the promised land, this land that God had given them, the, uh, God wanted to wanted. God wanted to know, is this just a belief or is this a conviction? You'll always come to that point in your life where your beliefs will be confronted. And what you do from that moment on will determine, was this just a, a belief that I thought I believed? But when the moment came where the belief was challenged to action, was there action that followed? Well, sure, all the Israelite army thought they believed in the promise of God, didn't they? This was something that they had stood the test of time with through slavery and through generations of being broken down in the mind and through generations of almost forgetting what God had promised them. Now they send in 12 spies into the very land that God has promised them. And of course we know out of 12 spies, 10 of them come back with a bad report, a negative report. And we made this statement. It was a very confrontational statement. But we said this. When the ten spies were speaking, they weren't thinking, let's choose fear. They thought they were choosing wisdom. They thought they were choosing the wise thing to do. And so we started looking at this, this idea that fear has many different masks that we put on it. And we try to call it courage. We try to call it bravery. We try to call it boldness when it's when it at its core it's fear. And we're seeing this obviously played out in our world today. We have different labels that we put on courage to try to make ourselves feel like we're not fearful. 
But when the moment came to cross into the land, those that were fearful were identified. And those that were truly courageous, those that were truly brave, those that were truly ready to take on the promise, regardless of what they saw, in the face of what they ought to have been afraid of, they stood on the word of God. That was only two men. That was Joshua and Caleb. We saw that Caleb even had to have courage not just to stand up against giants. He had to have courage to even stand up against his own people. And that, it, it, it's, it's one thing to stand up against uh, what you know is evil. But then when you, have, when you are challenged with the opportunity to stand up against those that you thought were for you. Those that you thought had your best interests at heart. The, now it begins, to, it begins to mess with your mind. Well, am I really going crazy? You think Joshua and Caleb had some opportunities to think, well, are we just crazy to be the only two people in this whole camp that are willing to take this land? Have any of y'all had those moments over the last few years thinking, maybe am, am I the one going crazy? That I'm the, am I the only one seeing this? I'll tell you right now, you definitely... You do not want to side with the majority. Don't find yourself altering what you believe and not remaining convicted and steadfast in what you believe because the majority is going the other direction. We're going to find ourselves here in these last days. You may be the only one in the entire room willing to stand for what's right, willing to stand on truth, willing to stick with God's word. And you better learn to be okay with that. You better learn to get attacked even from those that you thought were with you. You better learn to withstand some things from directions and from people and, and, and from entities that you thought were for you. Jesus went to the cross all by himself. And Jesus went to that cross because of a conviction. He even looked his best friend in the eye and said, get behind me, Satan. Conviction said that. Not just mouthing words, not just saying I'm of one thing, but when it came down to it, Jesus was willing to die all by himself and didn't need anybody else to go with him or side with him. This is how missional we're going to have to be in our mindset. This is how courageous we're going to have to be. This is how bold we're going to have to be in these last days. God is calling the church to conviction. And it's going to take the courageous church that rises up and responds this way. I want to look at uh, Numbers chapter 14, continuing on from our passage. The title of my message today is Follow Fully. Follow Fully. You know, when you think about these Israelites, you know, up to this point, they have followed God. They followed through the Red Sea. They followed through the wilderness. They followed through uh, starvation. Where's our next meal going to come from? They, they followed through thirst. Where's water going to come from? I mean, you got water coming out of rocks. You got manna on the ground. You, you, you've got birds bringing dinner. I mean, you've got some major miracles and manifestations taking place right in front of them. And, of course, you and I, we read back to numbers and we think, how crazy were these people to grumble and complain and turn from God? And then ultimately, when they had the opportunity to walk into the promise that God had given them, they didn't do it. They rejected the promise. 
And we think, how crazy were these people? These people nuts. I mean, you've seen God do all these things. But I want to look at some things today that might be, again, you know, a little convicting and a little confrontational, but that's okay. You know, if you ever want to grow in anything, you're going to have to challenge what's there, period. There is no growth without challenge. There is no growth in comfort. There is no growth in convenience. There is no growth when all your preferences are met. But when we learn to look inwardly and say, man, I, I'm, I'm doing that. I, I've been saying that. Or I've acted that way. And I can challenge that and say, that's not going to produce the results that I believe God wants for my life. Now we're in a position to grow and move forward in the things of God. So I hope that we can have our eyes opened, and I hope that we can respond that way to this word. In Numbers chapter 14 and verse 1, this is right after the 12 spies come back, and 10 of them give a bad report. Joshua and Caleb give a good report. It says in verse 1, Then all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. On the report of 10 men, the whole congregation of people. We're talking close to a million people at this point are now in fear, are now in doubt and unbelief, rejecting the word of God. You know, one thing is, if you're not going to remain in faith, at least just keep it to yourself. At least just keep it to yourself. Because what we see here is that fear is more contagious than faith. Fear is more contagious than faith. Isn't that interesting? That it takes nothing to get us fearful, but to be faithful about something or to be full of faith about something, it's like we have to read and we have to read and we have to read and we have to work and we have to work and we have to work. This is what I believe. This is what I believe. That when trial and tragedy strikes, what comes out is what you've been putting in. It only moves you. It only identifies where you really were the whole time. What we saw last year wasn't just people all of a sudden flipping a switch and, man, I was operating in faith, but now I'm scared. No, you never were really operating in faith. You weren't doing the things necessary to build within you the resilience and the vigilance to take on a trial. But Joshua and Caleb apparently had done something different leading up to this promised land. Because they saw the giants. They saw the vastness of the land. They saw the, all the, the messed up stuff just like the other ones did. But they chose to keep their eyes fixed on the word of God. They chose to remind themselves of the promise that God had made. And regardless of what they saw in the promised land, it was not going to move them. On the contrary, the other ten only believed a promise halfway. They didn't have the true conviction that when the trial showed up, that put a resilience and a vigilance in them that said, nope, we're going in no matter what. And they even saw the goodness of the land. I mean, the, the first words out of their mouth was, it surely is a land flowing with milk and honey. And here's the fruit that we brought back. A harvest of grapes so large that they had to carry on a pole between 
two men. They saw the goodness of the land. They chose to focus on the trial. They chose to focus, because see, where you put your focus is where you build your faith. Where you put your focus is where you build your faith. Faith comes by hearing. What's that mean? That means I'm focusing on something. Faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing. It does not say faith comes by having heard. I once heard that. No, it's I've got to keep it in front of me. I've got to be laser focused. I've got to keep my eyes set on the goal. I've got to keep my eyes set on the target. And nothing can move me off of that. Well, out of the group, Joshua and Caleb are the only ones that come back with that report. And then this leads a uh, uh, an entire group of Israelites to now be crying and wailing. And it says, and they cried and wept all night. That's, that's how, that, that is how messed up these people have gotten. In one moment, by one report. You know, there's a lot of reports out there today. I was just talking to a doctor this week. And I was talking, you know, about everything that's going on. And, you know, I, I said, you know, there's just a lot of information out there. And he says, there's too much information. It's an overload of information. He said, the reason why we're still in this crisis isn't because of the virus, it's because of the media. The media is the virus. The media is the virus. Because the information won't allow us to face the reality of the situation. This is from a doctor, from someone with medical experience, period. Information will, will kill you, knowing more than we are supposed to know. We weren't designed to live by information. We were designed to live by revelation. Revelation of God's word. Revelation of who he is. Revelation in the spirit, not just information in the mind. And when you, I don't care how much information you can accumulate, you can get dumber knowing more. Yes, you can. But I tell you right now, revelation from the word of God will make you look smarter than anybody else. The Holy Spirit is the smartest person on the planet. And if you listen to him, he'll make you look smart too. You sure will. There's so many times as a pastor, I have, for, I have to rely on the Holy Spirit. I don't have an option. I, I, wanna, I want the church to live in a place where we remove the option to live any other way. We have no business living by information. We have no business living by processing everything that's happening around us and responding and reacting to every little thing that comes our way. We are only supposed to be responding to the Holy Spirit and to the Word of God, period. And I don't respond. I don't respond to giants in the land. I don't respond to the vastness. I don't respond to how overwhelming it seems. I have a word from the Lord. I've got a promise from God. And that is more real to me than any giant standing in front of me. This is how we have to choose to live. But all the congregation lifts up their voice, cried, and wept all night. All the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt. Or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land? Now they're questioning the very intention of their God. The God that made the promise, this is your land. The God that made the promise, you will dwell here just as, your for, uh, just as I gave it to your forefather Abraham. This is the land that I have promised you. Now they're even questioning, why did God bring us here? 
Why did God do this to us? Like God's intentions were against you rather than for you. It's a dangerous path we go down. You, you see, this is all happening within 24 hours. This happens quickly. The deterioration that fear brings, it happens quickly. You know, see, you, you will never win a war in life if you can't win a war in your mind. You will never win a war in life if you don't first win the war in your mind. And people are losing the war in their mind every day. And in minutes, they go from hearing a negative report to then questioning God. The deterioration of this progress or the lack thereof. It's incredible how quickly it infects fear. We cannot tolerate fear even on the smallest of levels. Not even on a microscopic level. Not even in an invisible realm. We cannot tolerate it. They lifted up their voices and cried. They've wept all night. Then it moved to grumbling and complaining against the leadership that God had placed over them. Now we're all the way to questioning and challenging God, what do you think you're doing to us? Who do you think you are bringing us out here to die? Then from there it deteriorates to maybe we should go back to Egypt. Now they're desiring their past over their future. In moments we're talking about. This is amazing how our minds work. Don't tell me you can't live by faith. Because you just pictured your absolute destruction, and you're using the same principles you could be using for faith. They are seeing themselves destroyed by an enemy. They are seeing themselves overthrown, and it's moving them to grumbling and complaining, weeping and crying, and now desiring to go back to the very place that God delivered them from. It's quick. You have to get a point. You got. You have to get a hold of it quick. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become plunder. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? And notice how they, they start pulling on heartstrings. Our wives will be plunder. Our kids will be plunder. We're seeing that happen today. There, there are certain agendas that have these certain notions behind them, like you don't care about my family. You don't care about me. You don't care about your grandma. You don't care about your consumers. You don't care about the customers that come in. And so we do all these crazy things just to show we care. Half the stuff that people do, they don't even believe in the actual method or the actual thing that they're doing. They're just doing it for a perception of, I want to look like I love you. I want to look like I care about you. It's false. I said it's false. That's what they're doing. Because you brought us out here, Moses, Aaron, God, because you brought us out here, now my wife is going to die. You don't care about my kids. Start tugging on some heartstrings. Start, start making look. God is so evil that he would allow my wife and children to become the, end, the enemy's plunder. I mean, it, you can get to some very sick and twisted places quick if you allow fear to rule and reign in your life. Verse 4. 
So they said to one another, let us appoint a leader and return to Egypt. So if you don't like the leader you currently have, get rid of him and find one that's just as weak and cowardly as you are, and then he'll take you wherever you want to go. All right, y'all didn't like that one. We'll just keep going. Verse 5. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces in the presence of all the assembly of the congregation of the sons of Israel, Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, of those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes, and they spoke to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord is pleased with us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only, here it is, do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land. Do you know how much we compromise in our lives because we fear people? Do you know how much that we we compromise the plan of God and the purpose of God simply because of what other people can do or say or how they might respond? It's the enemy's tactic. Enemy's tactic, fear of man. A fear of man. Half of the stuff that we've seen happen is because of a fear of man. They're not even fearing the devil. They're fearing what people. Why do we give other people so much power over our lives? Because the God that destined you didn't take a vote from anybody else to determine if you have the capacity to walk out the promise that he gave you. You remember what those crazy ten spies said? And in the eyes of the giants, we were but grasshoppers. Why do you care so much about what your enemy thinks about you? Why do we do this? Why do we give other people so much power over our lives? Your purpose is not at the mercy of someone else's belief. In fact, I can, I'll just go ahead and give you this assurance. I'll just get you all the way over to the other side. Most likely, what God has called you to do Others will doubt. Y'all with me? God is not calling you at the mercy of what other people can believe God has called you to do. And if you keep living to what will other people think and what will other people say and what will this person think if I go to do this and if I go and do that, then we are li- God cannot move in the life of a person that has a fear of man. He cannot do it. What can man do to me is the question we ought to be asking. What can man do to me? Come on, we got to have some courage. We've got to have some boldness with this. He says, only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they will be our prey. Do you hear Caleb's words? He's turning the table on this thing. He's saying, we, they're not going to devour us. We are going to devour them. And what you don't recognize is you're praying for fear. You're praying for strength for the battle. And God has designed it that you will get strength from the battle. 
What Caleb is saying is we will actually get our strength and our nourishment from winning this battle and defeating these giants. And while we're over here praying for strength to fight them, God is saying, go fight them and I'll give you strength in the midst of it. He says, they are our prey. They belong to us. Their protection has been removed from them and the Lord is with us. Here it is. Do not fear them. Verse 10. But all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Now imagine if these Israelites would have turned on the giants with the same vigor that they turned on Caleb and Joshua. Imagine if they would have picked up stones and hurled them at the enemy. And this is what you'll find is that we'll waste all of our energy fighting each other so we don't have any energy to fight the real enemy. This is what's happening. Fear causes you to turn on anyone that even speaks uh, in line with faith or talks in line with faith. Start talking in faith and watch the ones, watch which ones turn on you from within. Insecure people are intimidated by faith people to a point of fear. To a point that I've got to do something about you. I have to shut you up so I don't look like I'm the wrong one. Hello? You don't want to be the insecure one, intimidated by people of faith. You want to be the one that rises and says, I'll be the, I'll be the only one to stand for what I know God has promised me. I'll be the only one. I'll be the one consecrated. I'll be the one set apart. I'll be the one distinguished. I'll be the one that you'll be able to find me. You'll know where I'm at because I'll be the only one speaking faith if I have to. Faith never needs a majority. That's why it's called courage. It wouldn't be courage if everybody was doing it. It's courage because nobody else is doing it. But yet you remain supplanted in what God's word is to you. Now look at this in verse 11. The Lord said to Moses, how long will this people spurn me? And how long will they not believe? This is what we've been talking about, believing. Do we believe it enough to affect our behavior? How long will they not believe in me? Now watch what he says here. Despite all the signs which I have performed in their midst. How long will they not, even though I've shown them miracle after miracle, I've manifested myself, I parted the Red Sea, water came out of a rock, I've healed them. I, I mean, the, 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 the clothes and the sandals that they're wearing haven't even worn or withered away. I sent them out with all the treasury of Egypt. I mean, one thing after another. And yet these people still deny me and deny my word. And this is perplexing to us. This is perplexing to us. After all that God has done. But you know what? He's done the same thing in our lives. You know he's shown himself faithful to you time and time again. 
you know that he's proven how good he is, how mighty he is time and time again. If he didn't do another thing for you, you could spend your rest of eternity worshiping and praising him just for what he's done, just to get you out of, out of darkness into light. When he healed your body, when he raised you up, when he went after your kids, when he saved you, when he delivered you. I mean, there are moments where you're just going to have to remind yourself, re forget not all his benefits. Remind yourself of the goodness of God because it only takes one trial to cause you to forget. To forget the birds bringing dinner. To forget the manna that showed up on your doorstep that morning. To forget the water that came out of the rock. To forget the parting of the sea. To forget how God delivered you out of the hand of Egyptian slavery. The ten plagues that came. How the angel went over every house that had the blood covering the doorpost. Come on. There are, there, there are you could... You could fill a book with everything God has done to prove himself faithful to you. So to remain fearful when God has been faithful, that's a travesty. Despite all the signs which I have performed in their midst. The Christian standard version reads it this way, verse 11. The Lord said to Moses, how long will these people despise me? The word despise means to reject and dishonor. And notice what he says. He doesn't say, they have despised my word. He says, they have despised me. I'm going to take it a step further. When you reject God's word, you reject God. God and his word are inseparable. So when you refuse to believe in God's word, he takes it personal. He says, you haven't just re rejected my word or my promise. You have rejected me. You've rejected me. You were walking away from me. When we, when we refuse to walk in a promise that God has given us, when we refuse to walk in faith in what God has spoken to us, ultimately you are looking God in the, faith, in the face and saying, you can't do it. That's doubt and unbelief. You're looking God squarely in the face because he and his, and his word are one. If you don't believe my word, then you don't believe me, is what he's saying. Why have they despised me? How long will they not trust in me despite all the signs I have performed among them? You know how many times we are asking ourselves, can I trust God? And you know what God is asking? Can I trust you? That's what he's asking. Can I trust you with my word? See, when God gives you a promise and God gives you a word, you now have to steward that. You now have the responsibility, the responsibility of walking that word out. When God gives us a promise or God gives us a declaration over our life, he doesn't consult us. He didn't ask us, and it's not optional. 
Some of you in this room, God has spoken things over you. God has declared things over you. Maybe it was a word that you know specifically, specifically directly came from God, whether directly to you or a prophetic word or a season you were in, or you just know there was something he assigned to your life. There was something he was calling you to do, and you've put it off. You've neglected it. You've abandoned it. And then when the moment comes to spy out the land, you haven't fed yourself properly to believe it against what happens. Because God never gives you a promise without a fight to see it fulfilled. We said that last week. There's always a fight between promise and fulfillment. And the only reason God doesn't see a promise or we won't see a promise fulfilled in us is because we refuse the fight. We refuse the battle in between. And so here's what we do. We put it all on God. Well, God, if you gave me the promise, then you're going to have to do something to make it come to pass. They're called miracles. Notice that each of these miracles happened independent of the Israelites' faith. Regardless of if they believed or not, in fact, some of these miracles came as a direct result of grumbling and complaining. See, we think that we got to have faith for miracles. No, you don't. Miracles are what God does. Miracles are so normal to God, that's just the way that he lives. Miracles is just giving us a glimpse into what God can do. Giving us a glimpse into what's possible. God wants to show us what is possible by doing the impossible. But the miracle is not just merely to be praised and applauded and, oh, look what God did. The miracle is to prove to you that the promise can be fulfilled. And miracles can happen independent of your faith, but promises cannot. I'll say that again. Miracles can happen independent of your faith, but promises cannot. If God promised you something, you will have to Walk alongside the promise, fight the battle to see it come to pass. Otherwise, you will die with an unfulfilled promise, and God will have to go on to someone else. And see, miracles are for you. Promises are for others. I'll say that again. Miracles are for you. You benefit. You get your healing. You see a sign and a wonder. You see a manifestation. But when God fulfills a promise, it will benefit everybody you come into contact with. This promise wasn't just for Joshua and Caleb and Abraham and even this nation that refused to go in. The promise was for their children and their children's children and their children's children's children. It was for generations beyond. When you are truly believing in a promise from God, it will not just merely change your life. It will change everybody that comes behind you. And I think it's time for us to start seeing miracles on a regular basis so we can start stretching our faith to believe in promises that are going to outlive us and cause us to leave a legacy in the earth beyond us. We're over here believing for miracles, and God's like, kidding me? Miracle ain't nothing. Will you believe me with a promise? Will you believe me with something that will affect your children? Will you believe me? I'm talking promises like you're going to run a business. 
You're going to run for office. You're going to do this, and you're going to, I'm talking big stuff now. Why do we have such little minds when it comes to the things of God? I was just talking with Matt in my office about this before service. I was listening to someone speak, and they were talking about creative capacity. And somebody, I don't remember who it was, some author wrote a book, did a study on 1,600 children. Followed them from, I think, before kindergarten, maybe about two or three, all the way up into adulthood. And he would ask certain things and even um, um, look at their problem-solving capacity at a very young age. He said at five, he recognized that 90, I think it was like 92% of the children had a capacity to create. Then he tested them again at age eight. He tested them again at age 13. He tested them again at age 18. And then I think, you know, either 21 or 23. And every time he tested them, the percentage of their ability and capacity to create went down, not up. At two years old, they had a better capacity to create and problem solve than they did at 22 years old. I remember someone asking this question a while back. If you ask a two- or a three-year-old, what do you want to be when you grow up? It's crazy stuff. Astronauts, presidents, right? Athletes, baseball. But if you ask an 18-year-old, they don't even know anymore. What do you want to be when you grow up? And all of a sudden, it all be, it, it, it narrows. Who told you you couldn't be president? Who told you you couldn't still be an athlete? Who told you you still couldn't have that influence? Who told you you still couldn't accomplish this and be this and be? Why does a three-year-old have a bigger mentality than a 23-year-old? This is a problem. And the conclusion that the, that the author of this book came to was that we are taught to think smaller. Something by experience, expectation, parenting, the house we live in, the where we grow up, the schools we go to, something we are doing is telling kids, you can't do whatever you want to do. You can't be whatever you want to be. And then God, we get in the house of God and he starts blowing our minds with potential and capacity and purpose and destiny. And it's no wonder we walk into a promised land that he promised to give us and we see giants instead of graves. We see problems instead of promises. The church has been thinking too small for too long. And then we look at problems like what we're facing now. And when I make a statement, this is, these issues are the very reason why the church exists. And half of you doubt me when I say that. When I say that you were created to rule and reign with Christ Jesus on this earth, we, I mean, I have to poke and prod and push and push and show you 15 scriptures to get, to get you to believe something that God expected to be normal. We talk about the power of the Holy Spirit and the working of the Holy Spirit, and it takes so much just to convince someone to move an inch on it. 
This word is supernatural. I'm not getting on to you this morning. I'm trying to help you become aware that we have greatly fallen from what God intended for his people. And it's time for us to rise with our beliefs, with our conviction, and with our courage to walk in the promises that God has given us and stop walking into things that belong to us and talking ourselves out of what he's talking us into. It's the biggest thing I can't stand as a pastor. And it's not just the grace. It's not just, oh, well, you can see what others can't see. No, it's a calling on my life to call out of people what they don't even know is there themselves. But I see people fall short time and time again, battling the same stinking things 10 years later that they were battling in the beginning, going through stuff and trudging through stuff when God wanted you to live up here, victorious, more than a conqueror, ambassadors for Christ, bringing heaven to earth. And God takes it personal. He says, why have you rejected me? How much longer? In the face of miracles. See, if you think it's going to be another miracle that's going to convince you, you're wrong. There's not another thing God needs to do for you, to you, or through you to prove to you that he's on your side and that you can accomplish what he's called you to do. Stop talking yourself out of what he's talking you into and start believing his word like it's true. Start living with conviction and get the courage up to stand for what you believe for. How much longer? Verse 22. Surely all the men who have seen my glory and my signs, which I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, yet have put me to the test these ten times. You remember there were ten plagues. There was ten times God proved to them who he was, and now we've got ten times they refuse to believe in who God is. It says, and they have not listened to my voice. You know, people say things like, God's glory changes things. Oh, just, oh, if we could just get in the presence of God, I'll just be transformed. No, you won't. It's not the presence of God that changes you. It's who you become after you've impacted and encountered the presence of God. One word from God can change your life forever. No, it won't. Not if you don't do something with it. Not if you don't believe it. Not if you don't take it to heart. And I'm giving you more than one word from God every Sunday. And half of you are throwing it out and filling it back up with CNN and Fox News and whatever kind of garbage you can gather up. And I got to do this all over again next Sunday. I'm just being honest with you. It's what you do with God's word that determines if it works in your life. It has the capacity to change your life. I mean, if the presence of God was the very thing we needed for us to be different, then what happened to all the Pharisees and Sadducees that had Jesus walking among their midst, but yet doubted him even more than they did before he ever showed up? Miracles, signs, and wonders. Oh, if God would just show himself mighty. No, then you've just put yourself in the category of people that just want to be entertained. You've put yourself in the category now where Jesus said, all you people want is a sign. 
Look, there's danger in this. I've said it before and I'll say it again. When we see a miracle or the supernatural in manifestation, manifestation, we lose the right to ever face a problem from the perspective of what cannot be done. When you see the miraculous, it should turn you on. It should, it should turn on a light bulb that says, if God can do that, then he can do this. But typically, we go from one miracle to the next, believing that the same God that did that can't do the next one. Y'all doing okay? He says, they've seen my glory. They've seen my signs. Yet they've put me to the test and have not listened to my voice. He said, they shall by no means, verse 23, see the land which I swore to their fathers. Nor shall any of those who spurned me see it. They've literally compromised themselves from walking in the promised land because they would not believe God at his word. But my servant Caleb, here it is, because he has had a different spirit and has followed me fully. Follow fully. Follow fully. He has followed me fully. I will bring into the land which he entered and his descendants. I said, and his descendants. See, when you are believing God for a promise, it goes beyond you. It doesn't just affect you. It it leaves a legacy beyond you. And Caleb said, I want my children to walk in the promise of God. Have you even stopped to think for a second what you want your kids to walk into, what you want your legacy to be like, what you want your employees to experience? Come on, as a business owner, it shouldn't be just so that you can be supplied, but you should have a vision big enough that says that everybody that works in my company will be blessed as well. That's big picture thinking now. Miracles bring a supply to you. Promises bring a supply through you. Should have written that one down. What did I say? A miracle brings a supply to you, but a promise will bring a supply through you. Notice that Caleb, he wasn't just merely following a command. He wasn't just following a cloud. He wasn't just going along with the motions, but he believed with an internal conviction that says, regardless of what I see, I'm standing on God's word. In verse 35, the Lord says this, I, the Lord, have spoken. I swear that I will do this to the entire evil community. Look what he says, that has conspired against me. This is how God views disbelief. It's not just a matter of, well, I just, I don't know if I could do that. You're literally calling God a liar, and then you actually turn yourself into God's enemy. He says, you've conspired against me. When you talk yourself yourself out of what I'm trying to give to you, you are actually standing in my way of what I'm trying to accomplish. 
I know this is hard, guys, but this is the word of God. We've got to get a bigger picture, and we've got to quit, uh, quit approaching the word of God as if it's optional. When God calls you to something, it's not just to affect you. It's to affect those beyond you. And when you, when you decide, I will not believe God for that, you are standing in the way of everybody else God is trying to bless and touch and deliver. And ten men turned the hearts of an entire congregation, and none of them went into the promised land. They died in that wilderness. Now, everybody has the responsibility to believe, but I definitely don't want to be the one that is the reason why somebody believes something that's contrary to God's word. I'd rather just keep my mouth shut and keep my disbelief to myself. I'd rather just not say anything at all than to be the one that would cause people to rally behind a cause that was broken and conspired against God. You know, a lot of times it seems like the fearful are more bold than the courageous. It just means that they're louder. It just means that there's more of them. But majority does not mean boldness. Majority does not mean the, the, the volume of your mouth and how, you know, a lot of times the loudest ones are the most wrong ones because they'd rather be heard than be right. Some of y'all caught that. In verse 43, no, 39, 39, Numbers chapter 14, verse 39. Watch what happens here. We're going to flip this over right here. God says, I'm not with you. You've conspired directly against me. You refuse to follow my command and walk in the promise that I've given you. Watch what they do in verse 39. When Moses spoke these words to all the sons of Israel, the people mourned greatly. In the morning, however, they rose up early and went up to the ridge of the hill country saying, here we are. We have indeed sinned. But we will go up to the place which the Lord has promised. So now all of a sudden they said, okay, fine, fine, fine. We, we, we don't want to die in the wilderness. We'll, we'll, we'll go into the promise saying, we'll, we'll do what you said. Yeah, okay, we, we believe you. After they've refused to go into the promised land, they've grumbled and complained against the leadership. They have decided to go back to Egypt instead of going forward. They've caused the whole congregation to weep and cry all night and to now operate in fear and operate in doubt and unbelief and even question and challenge the intention of the Lord their God. Now they come back and they say, we're we're sorry, we're sorry, we'll go in. We'll we'll do what you said. We'll, We'll go take the promised land. But Moses said in verse 41, why then are you transgressing the commandment of the Lord? When it will not succeed. Do not go up. Or you will be struck down. Before your enemies. For the Lord. Is not. Among you. For the Lord. Is not. Among you. For the Amalekites. And the Canaanites will be there in front of you. And you will fall by the sword. Inasmuch as you have turned back. From following the Lord, and the Lord will not be with you. 
But they went up heedlessly to the ridge of the hill country. Neither the ark of the covenant of the Lord nor Moses left the camp. And then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who lived in that hill country came down and struck them and beat them down as far as Hormah. You know what these men got? Exactly what they expected. For they said, these people are greater than us. These people are mightier than us. If we go in and try to fight these individuals, they will surely defeat us. We are just but grasshoppers in their sight. And since they operated by fear rather than faith, instead of rather standing on the promise of God, they got their eye fixed on the problem that was in front of them. When they went in against the word of the Lord to try to take what God had originally promised them, they lost the battle. They lost their lives. See, what we have to understand is when we walk in doubt and unbelief, when we allow fear to control, if believing involves God in the process, then doubt removes God from the process. And now you are left to your own ability. Now you are left to you being able to fulfill a promise that God has given you in your own capacity. See, when God gives you a promise, he doesn't intend you to fulfill it. He intends to fulfill it. But you have to walk alongside the promise in faith, believing without doubt in his heart. You know, I've heard so many messages recently uh, about allowing, you know, that doubt, that we will still have doubts. I hear it all the time. Doubt and fear are two things today that are being ministered from pulpits with pastors telling them it's okay to doubt. That's why we need faith is so that in the doubts we have something to believe in. I, I, heard, one, one, I heard one minister put it this way. I don't let fear drive, but it's allowed to sit in the back seat. I don't even know where to go from there. Mark 11, 23 and 24 says, believing in your heart with no doubt. The Bible says that the spirit, we have a spirit that casts out all fear. I don't even want fear in the trunk. I don't even want fear hanging on to the bumper of the vehicle. I don't want doubt anywhere in my life. If there's any doubt, I want it eradicated and removed because when you tolerate it at a small level, what do you think it does? It grows and it infects. No, get free from a spirit of fear. Get free from doubt and unbelief. Get freedom so that we can walk in everything that God has called us to do. But now, watch this. If believing... If I believe and it transforms my behavior, that becomes conviction. What if I behave without believing? I'm doing the right thing, 
but without the right conviction in my heart. And that's what these individuals did. They're just going through the motion. Okay, we'll go in, God. Okay, we'll obey you. We don't want to die in the wilderness. Okay, we'll, we'll go and take the land. Well, Jesus addresses this in Matthew chapter 23. And he has a word for it. When belief transforms behavior, it's called conviction. But in Matthew chapter 23, in verse 3, this whole chapter, Jesus addresses the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Let's look at a few of these passages. Therefore, all that they tell you, do and observe. But do not do according to their deeds. For they say things and do not mean them. They tie up heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. But they do all their deeds to be noticed. That means it's external. That means it's on the outside. They do all their deeds to be noticed by men, for they broaden their phylacteries and lengthen the tassels of their garments. Verse 13, look what he has to say about these individuals. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Here it is. Hypocrites. Because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from people. See, that's what those ten spies were. They shut off the promised land from an entire congregation of Israelites that had the capacity to walk in the promise that God had given them. For you do not enter in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. It, when, when belief transforms behavior, it's called conviction. But when you have behavior without belief, it's called hypocrisy. You become a hypocrite. Going through the motions with no real conviction on the inside, with no real belief system on the inside. And Jesus says, not only do you not enter into the promises of God, you refuse to allow others to walk into the promise of God. I'll tell you right now, if you are talking to individuals that are talking you out of walking in what God has called you, get away from them, run away from them as far as possible. Do not remain around people that are keeping you from the things God is trying to bring you into. I just had a conversation this past week with an individual that they've walked into some revelation. They've seen some things, and, and they've, they're starting to grow. There's a hunger that, that is showing up for the things of God, but they're in an environment that is stifling it and is, 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 is thwarting it. Well, I, I talked to this individual, and I talked to this person, and they say it's not of God, and I really didn't have this encounter, and this really didn't take place, and so I don't know what to do. I said, Here's what I can tell you. If you remain where you are, you will become one of them before too long. I said, if you want to grow, you need to get around people that are growing. 
If you want to go places, then you need to get around people that are going there too. But if you remain around people that are okay with the status quo, okay with not doing anything, okay with living in comfort and convenience and preference, that are okay with living and doing as little as possible and still expecting great results, get away from those people. If you remain in that company, if you remain in that environment, it will stifle any level of faith that is in you right now. It will not cause you to grow. You will not grow in spite of. You will run your course where you will have to say, I'm either staying here and running with this people or I'm going over there and I'm running with these people. And Jesus is helping us identify this. In verse 27, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. So to you outwardly appear righteous, so you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Worship team, if you come up. Which category are we going to find ourselves in? Which group are we going to find? The ones that just appear to go along with the motions? Go with the flow? Appear to have it all together? But when the time of conviction arises, and it's coming, when the time of decision-making arises, when the chance and the choice comes to walk in the fullness in the plan of God for your life, which will you choose? This is a call to action today. This is a call to action. I know it can sound hard. I know that it can sound heavy. But I'm coming to you with compassion. And I'm coming to you this morning with empathy empathy for your soul. Because there is much to be compromised in these days. There is much to lose. If we side with fear, if we side with doubt, if we side with the majority, if we refuse to stand out and be the distinct ones, the set-apart ones, the consecrated ones, it will keep us not just from experiencing miracles that benefit us, but promises that benefit others. Entire nations, entire generations behind you are counting on you to stand up. For the right thing. Would you stand up with me now? Just close your eyes. Lift your hands to heaven. I want this to be a moment of consecration right now. If this confronted, if this challenged, if this convicted, if this within you. Stirred your heart. I want you to receive it today. It's as simple as repentance. Repentance is not an external action. It's an internal action. Meaning that when you repent right now, when we all open our eyes and these lights come back on and we walk out these doors, you won't look any different on the outside. But on the inside, you're going to have a new conviction to walk in the things that God has called you to do. 
I believe that there's a spirit arising in the church today that will allow us to say yes to the things of God. Yes to the promises of God. Yes to what he has shown you. Yes to the destiny that he's proven to you time and time again. Think on the miracles. Think on the signs. Think on the times that he's come through. And let it invoke within you a a resilience that says if he did it before, he will do it again. Because he is the way maker. He is the promise keeper. He is the light in darkness. And even when I don't see it, he's working. And even when I don't feel it, he's moving. You're working and moving on my behalf to perform the promise in my life. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithbaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.